everyone. Welcome to Better Hiring, a podcast by Workable. As a marketing manager at Workable, if there was one thing I had to choose as my absolute favorite part of my job, it would be learning from the folks who are challenging the status quo and moving the recruitment industry forward. That's why we're here today. This podcast is a space for the leaders who are driving this progress to share their real, honest experiences in overcoming challenges and moving the hiring industry forward. And of course, to bring you the latest tips, trends, and strategies to help you find a path to better hiring. In this episode, I sat down with remote hiring expert, Tony Jamus, CEO at Oyster, to learn the ins and outs of hiring remote employees across the globe. If you're planning to continue hiring for remote positions, even after the pandemic, you might know that recruiting across borders can be real difficult. We have to figure out payroll, taxes, benefits, compliance, but it can result in a strong workforce and a competitive edge. Let's jump in. Welcome. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Uh, So to start us off, can you tell us a bit about your story, how you came to be CEO at Oyster? First, let's start with what is Oyster? Oyster is a distributed talent enablement platform. Uh, We enable companies to tap into the global talent pool by removing the barriers to cross-border employment. And and, and my story is, is very tightly linked to that. Essentially, I was born in Lebanon 40 years ago. And I had this amazing opportunity when I was 17 uh, to leave my home country and go to France and study computer science. And that enabled me to be plugged into the, uh, the Western world economy as we know it today. And I was able to grow. And I started my first company uh, 10 years ago uh, called Nexmo that was an API business for building communication applications. And that business grew rapidly to 100 million of revenue in five years and is now public on the NASDAQ. But then when I left this business, uh, I, took some, uh, I took some step back and I realized actually what is really important for me is to reduce wealth inequalities in the world. And I was able to see that uh, if you remove the barriers to cross-border employment and enable companies to, to really tap into the global talent pool, uh, you can reduce brain drain uh, which is uh, really one of the major impact of the distribution issues in the world. And um, and to to give you some some background on that, so Nexmo, my previous company was uh, was not fully distributed, but we employed people in 45 different countries, and we really struggled to do so. We had to set up entities, hire lawyers, accountant, benefit providers, you name it. We spent millions of dollars on building an employment infrastructure because we wanted to give people the chance to participate with the success of our company. And, and we didn't really succeed. We, we failed to provide them with great employment experience. So it was, it was clear to me that, that if, you, if you build a software application that really pierces into the problem uh, and make it a no-brainer for companies to tap into the global talent pool, uh, you can actually reduce brain drain and reduce wealth inequality as a result. Uh, so I wanted to do this, and and I started Oyster in January last year, one month before the world goes into lockdown. What a great moment in history uh, for 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 enabling talent from around the world uh, to participate uh, in the global economy. Yeah, that timing is impeccable. Truly, it's um, you know there's been a lot of bad that's come out of the pandemic, but I think that it's important, at least for me, to focus on some of the silver linings um, because there are a lot of silver linings. Before this call, you and I were chatting about you know the ability to kind of 
leave the city and find nature. Um, and that's wonderful. But also just, you know, the change we're seeing generally in remote work. You know, I've seen that workable. Uh, we're starting to have that flexibility. Um, and as you said, it does open opportunity to geographical areas and, and places that just didn't have that opportunity before. So Super excited to get into that, but kind of starting off with some of the nitty gritty. Uh, back in March of last year, we hosted a webinar that we put together really quickly with TA professionals at remote companies. They were already remote and we had a ton of people attend, a ton of people asking questions. And right off the bat, some of the biggest or like most common questions we saw were in the States, how do we manage I-9s, W-4s, remote employees in states and other countries? How do we manage taxes, local laws, benefits, and so on? So in your position, how would you advise them? Yeah, my, my first tip here is really focus on what's really important, which is finding the best talent, no matter where they are. And, uh, and, and, and worry, worry later about these uh, obstacles or these barriers that prevents you from, from hiring the talent. And that's one of the reasons why Oyster exists, by the way, is really to remove the barriers. Companies can, can really hire the best people, uh, no matter where they are. Uh, I mean, in my previous company, uh, Nexmo, we, sometimes we spend six months to a year to be able to open an entity in a given country, let's say, take a complex country like China. Uh, and, uh, and what happens after six months uh, when you've identified a talent and you want to hire them? They're not going to sit and wait for you. Uh, you most probably going to lose that talent. Uh, there is, I would say, a change in uh, the talent acquisition function between in the past, it used to be focused in hiring in one country, usually around uh, the office uh, where, where the company has, has the city where the company has an office. Uh, now, now the new skills to acquire is how you can hire globally uh, and rely on maturing platforms such as Oyster. Uh, to facilitate that and and make sure that you remain compliant, uh, your employee get a great experience and, uh, and and really focus on on finding the best talent no matter where they are. Yeah, that's a a really good message because there there are a lot of complexities surrounding just hiring outside of that zone. I mean, we're so used to, you know, here in Boston, we hired the Boston talent, and that was the talent pool we dealt with, and it's it's been a whole year of like coming to terms with the fact that for many of us offices aren't opening again or if they do open it's um, remote first and it's just having that space for some of the employees that were local uh, to be here and it can really make or break a company when you start thinking about uh, these other areas and these different talent pools so it plays into so many different pieces but something relatable for us here at Workable is uh, we're pretty unique because we were founded in Greece and the majority of our employees are located in Greece, um, in Athens, now surrounding Athens since people can move for a remote first company now. And there is incredible talent in Greece. And this is something I, I didn't know before I started working for this company. Very well educated, extremely smart people. Um, our product team is some of the best product engineers in the world. So it's it's this untapped talent pool that has been absolutely incredible. And, and it's a, the reason that Workable is such an amazing product to this day. We were built and founded in Greece. 
But what we're what we're seeing now is that we were or we are the Google of Greece, uh, but now Google and Facebook and some of these big tech platforms are starting to open their positions to talent in Greece. And uh, from my perspective, it seems like some of these like big forward thinking companies are the leaders here. So should more organizations that maybe aren't these big conglomerates be thinking about opening in different countries? And, and if so, like, how do they go through that, that thought process? Great news for Greece and the Greek people. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, uh, great talent is available uh, anywhere in the world. And, and uh, uh, people go, go to un- top universities. They, 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 when they graduate from universities, they are full of energy. Uh, the world is their oyster. And, and then suddenly they, they, their first shock is when they get Especially in, in emerging, especially in emerging economies, uh, they get they get into the the local economy. And they interact with a local economy that might not be uh, focused on their growth and development as as other companies in other countries. You know, think about the tech industry and how much we focus on developing our people uh, because we believe the the people are the key, the, the number one asset of the business. So, if you're let's say in Niger- if you're if you're married in Nigeria and you're graduating from uh, top university in computer science in Nigeria, the best job you're going to get is to work for a local bank. And, and five years into that job, uh, well, well, you're, uh, you, you're going to plateau because there's not enough opportunities in Nigeria and you're going to replace Nigeria of any of the 80% of the world economies. Uh, and then you have the same result. So what, it, what, is, what is important is to re- really kind of unlock that cycle and, and make sure that Mary in Nigeria can have access equally uh, to job opportunities in Nigeria or elsewhere. And, and the challenges to do so, I mean, there's a number of challenges that companies have faced in the past to do so. Uh, one of them is how do you know uh, how, how good is the talent? How, how good is Mary in Nigeria? You know, how can you assess her? Uh, there, there is a, a fear of cultural differences. You know, may, maybe uh, uh, people in that country think differently than people in that country. There are administrative and, and, and legal and tax uh, challenges that companies have to go through uh, to be able to employ Mary in Nigeria. Uh, so, so I think what's happening now in the world is that there's a shift uh, between being restricted to, to hiring in, in your local economy or your, or your city to hiring globally. And, and uh, there is increasingly these platforms that are overcoming that challenge so that you can uh, provide a seamless experience to, to anyone anywhere in the world. Uh, now, if you think about it, uh, I mean, if you're, let's say, a, a startup in San Francisco or a startup in London and you want to hire locally, what are the chances of the best talent to be in 20 miles radius from your, uh, from your, uh, from your office? It's like 0.1%. Um, so h- how can you explain statistically that this is a good strategy for talent acquisition where uh, over 99% of the great talent is elsewhere? Uh, so when, when companies re- and smart companies are realizing that, you know, every day we see uh, uh, new companies are, are adopting uh, global hiring. You know, our, our customer at Oyster, uh, they have been very successful in, in, in growing their talent pool, leveraging that, that method. Uh, so essentially now smart companies are realizing that uh, great talent can be found anywhere and, and, and they have to change and, and evolve uh, the way they go about talent acquisition from being focused to one city uh, to being globally focused. How how would you advise teams that maybe are in a position where they could create a business case 
for hiring remotely, how would you advise them to start? Are there statistics they should be thinking about? Like what, what is the big draw there? Yeah, so, so essentially it, it depends on what you're looking for, right? So, so there, there are some roles that are, that are, I would say, they can be found anywhere. Uh, so think about sales, uh, customer success, and, and engineering are, are talent that is readily available anywhere in the world. Uh, for instance, at Oyster, our, our sales force is, is, is in, in 20 different countries. And, and there's, uh, there are some, some uh, areas of the world that are more specialized in certain type of talent. Uh, there are certain uh, hubs of engineering in the world, such as, let's say, Eastern Europe or Latin America, that have higher, higher uh, degree of highly talented uh, developers. Uh, and, and you can even drill down to a specific language. Uh, so, for instance, you want to hire in Java and you hire in Ruby. There are certain hubs around the world that, that are available. Uh, and it's also like what's hard as well is like, especially if you're, if you're a tech company, let's say, and you want to hire specific tech talent, not necessarily engineering, uh, it's maybe hard to find senior talent because in the last uh, 30 years, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the senior talent has been, has been focused on the Western world. So it's also important that uh, you think about how you develop uh, the, the, the younger talent that come from emerging economies and give them the opportunity to, to grow uh, with your company and, and with the opportunity so we can start building the next generation of tech leaders from from all over the world and not necessarily focused or, or centered around certain technology hubs in the world such as the silicon valley or or london or or, or china that's a really good point um do you have experience with what that looks like when it comes to developing remote talent because i imagine it's a bit different especially when the way we think about developing talent it's sometimes internal sometimes happens in the office sometimes happens at in-person events like are there resources out there is there a good methodology to go through so development yeah i mean definitely what, what, I, what I tell my customers is, is that you you will need to align your company's success with your employee success and specifically as you think about a distributed talent force they are not in the office so how can you create an, an environment where there's equal opportunities uh, regardless of where people are? So for instance, there are, there are certain training that you can, you can upskill your, your talent force on remote work. Uh, we, uh, we actually do that internally at Oyster, but we also open source it for, for others in the world to, to benefit from. Uh, so you can teach uh, your, your, your team how, how to uh, behave, how to be productive, uh, how to take care of themselves so that they don't burn out. Remote work before the pandemic uh, was was a lifestyle decision for many people in the Western world, but it wasn't really uh, a choice for many people in emerging economies. Think about these contact center uh, staff in India that used to work night shift to accommodate uh, the U.S. market. I mean, uh, there's something we don't really talk about is is really this lifestyle uh, disparity uh, when it comes to uh, to working from anywhere, um, so really, as as a, as, a, as a leader of an organization, uh, my recommendation is is to create to, to create that environment and that culture that um, that makes everybody give everybody an equal opportunity, no matter what they are, and that go through the tools you use, discipline in, in using these tools, uh, and go through uh, where, where your leadership team is is located. So if if in order for you to succeed in the company, you have to be at the headquarter and you have to meet with this uh, executive team uh, or, over a, a coffee or water cool conversation, is this is how you progress in your company, that might not be a good idea. Uh, you have to 
uh, have a result-driven culture uh, first and foremost. And, uh, uh, and, and we've seen that companies that, that has this obsession with output rather than, than input, essentially we don't care uh, how much hours that you put in to get the job done as long as you have clear goals and you're delivering on your goals, that goes a long way uh, to create a culture where there is high degree of trust uh, in, in order for anybody, anywhere they are, to, to grow and, and, and develop in your company. That's a really good answer and brings us back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago with cultures across the world. And um, I've seen it at Workable. Uh, it's been really cool just to work at a Greek company and like peek into the Greek culture. And uh, if anything, it's been absolutely an incredible experience. Um, but that might be, I, I think you mentioned that that's often a barrier in some cases um, for companies when they're thinking about hiring across the world is um, what if I don't understand that culture? What if they aren't prepared for what my company can offer them? Um, is cultures clashing something that isn't is a common issue you see, or what, what does that look like? Yeah, and, and I'd like to, before before answering the question, maybe um, do, do you feel that workable is a Greek culture or is it a workable culture? Do it you, is do, very much a workable culture. Exactly. So so what I, what I always say is that company culture trumps country culture. And, uh, you know, when we, as we, as we grew up, you know, we grew up in one country and we start developing uh, an idea of the other people in these people in the other country that are different from us. Uh, but my experience having led uh, two companies in the last uh, 10, 12 years is that that are from people from all over the world, that company culture definitely trumps uh, co country culture. And, uh, and, and how, how do you, so how you, but, but you have to manage it. You know, it's not like, you know, by, by default, this is going to happen. So you need to really uh, be, be clear about how do you create a strong company culture uh, that actually is stronger than, than local cultural specificities. And, uh, and, and it's hard. It's hard to do uh, even before being, uh, everybody being in a, in, a, in a distributed environment. And specifically in, in, a, in a distributed environment, it's harder. You know, I've been, I've been thinking about that, obviously, because I'm building a company right now. It's been, Oyster has been a, over a year, a year and a and, and few months in existence. Uh, and uh, like I've hired 95% of the people in the company I've never met. And, and so essentially there's this, this question of how can I create a strong culture is, is kind of consuming me. And so, so I had to kind of research uh, what, what's, what are the challenges of uh, creating a strong culture in a, in a distributed environment. And, and the first aspect of that is uh, leaders have to understand that uh, the identity of people becomes the overlap between their work identity and their personal identity is, is stronger when they, when they go to the office, which makes it harder for them to, to, to build that strong culture. And, and why it's strong, is, is stronger when you're going to the office? Because when, when we used to go to the office, you used to wake up in the morning, have a ritual to, to prepare yourself, uh, commute. Some people would commute for an hour, spend eight hours uh, in the office, and then commute back home. So, so our life was kind of consumed by work. And then, and then now, um, what what we see, at least my, my experience, um, I'm looking to hear your experience, Caroline, is now my my, my identity is more uh, is, is work, but it's also family. I spend more time with my children, uh, with my partner, 
it's my community as well. Like the, the other day, I'm currently living in a small village here in France, and and uh, my my uh, neighbor Bernard, who's on the other side of the village, two hundred meters away, um, he's like an old dude. He's he can't he can't walk very well, and his chimney broke in the middle of the winter, and he had somebody needed somebody to take him to the store, buy something to come and fix his chimney. So he called me at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And I had, I had 45 minutes in my, in my gap in my, in my schedule. So I was able to go and bring him to the store and bring the, and I felt more connected to him. And uh, so if I was in the office, I, I would have missed that opportunity to help Bernard. And uh, so I feel much more connected to, to my local community. So that's a good news for the world. Yeah. And that's a good news for people now to create a challenge for leaders to create strong culture how is your experience now working from home how have you do you feel a change in in your identity totally yeah i love i love that you say that um i actually i've said before that i feel like i've had to mourn a piece of myself because there was a work identity that was part of who i was um, and I, I had to let that go because she doesn't exist anymore. There, there was work Carolyn and there was home Carolyn. And now there's this interesting blend of, you know, figuring out who I am when I'm working behind a screen and building relationships with my remote coworkers, but also taking my dog for a walk in the middle of the day and, um, living in the suburbs and around a lot of cranberry bogs and, <laughs> you know, connecting a bit more with nature than I was when I was in the city. So there are these huge changes that we're all going through. And I think when we talk about uh, remote culture, we think about like, um, like, uh, like team building games and uh, communication and all hands meetings and how we stay connected. But there is a big piece of, you know, like what actually is culture when you're at a remote company? Is it the ability to have your senior leaders tell you to take a walk with your dog in the afternoon and to find flexibility throughout your day and, and feel like you're trusted and can work autonomously? There's so much there. There's so, so much there. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's such a huge part of this conversation and when yeah. a company decides to be remote. Yeah, I was I was in London the other day and I saw this van of uh, a coffee machine uh, provider for businesses and on their on their van they say that the slogan this is, is was we make business culture and uh, and I had this question like what is what do they mean by that like what is culture and and uh, and for me culture is uh, is this set of shared norms and habits that an organization have that uh, removes uncertainty in, around how the world gets done and how do we, uh, what, is, what is the relationship in, in, on, on the job and how do we de- treat each other uh, as, as team members? And, and what is a strong culture? A strong culture is, uh, is these norms and habits are not only shared, but they are reinforced. And, and that's what's a great culture uh, for me. And there's a way, there's definitely a way to do it uh, and and for, first uh, is really about building trust among the team. And, and this is really, you have to up the game on that in, in a virtual environment uh, because trust in a, in, a, in a physical environment is much easier to build because you have, you have this uh, emotional messaging uh, signaling, such as body language that you have, that you can really kind of read the person better. And then that removes kind of the distance between you and the other person. So so how do you kind of recreate that in, a, in, a, in an environment, environment uh, virtual environment? 
is something that we, we focus on. Uh, how do you create opportunities to connect with people in a way that creates safety, that, that creates closeness and intimacy with, with, the, with the other person? Is something that can be engineered, but that's not enough. You know, that, that's like hygiene factor that you have to really work on in, in a virtual environment to deliberately create opportunities that build trust. Like, for instance, in my team, uh, I kind of engineer opportunities to work with them on, on a personal basis. Uh, let's say we ha I have a, a roadmap discussion uh, with, with, my, with my head of product. So I spend uh, a few hours along a one month period working uh, synchronously with her, brainstorming, building on each other ideas. Uh, I want her to have an insight about how I think, and I want to have an insight about how she thinks. Uh, and I do it with other, I kind of create these opportunities deliberately uh, so that can we understand each other and create shared language, shared uh, meaning about the work. Um, and that's one, one piece of the equation. The other piece of the equation that is also a hygiene factor uh, for, for, for building a strong culture in a, in, in a virtual environment uh, is around the discipline of how the work gets done. Uh, we call them at Oyster the tools and the rules. Uh, so, and that's, again, that's if you're in an office environment and you're not very clear or prescriptive about how to get the job done, uh, then you, you can get away with it. So in a, in a virtual environment, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to work. People are on different time zones. People are coming from different culture, different, different backgrounds. So you have to be very prescriptive of how do you work together? Uh, what tools do you use? Uh, when do you use them? What kind of different meetings you have? I mean, obviously embrace this asynchronous communication and collaboration and then reinforce it. And, and then thirdly is uh, it cannot be like a top-down effort. It has to be co-created among the team. Uh, and you as a, as a team manager, you have to be the best remote worker in your team to, to show the example uh, for your team uh, that, that this is something that everybody needs to buy into uh, and it gets reinforced. And I think these are kind of the foundation of, uh, of creating a strong culture in a virtual environment. And actually, when you think about it, th there's, a, there's a way to outperform uh, in, in office cultures. Uh, so for instance, a, a virtual environment uh, requires you to share leadership more. So essentially, because everybody's in a different location and, and the leader cannot do everything like they used to do in the office, uh, then the, suddenly you have an opportunity for other leaders to come in and fill that gap. So it becomes a great place to grow leader faster uh, in the business. And we've seen it, we've seen it at Oyster and we're very excited about that opportunity. Uh, another superpower from of distributed teams is uh, the best ideas win. Uh, I don't know if you if you remember when we used to uh, work in an office and we go to a meeting meeting room and usually the loudest person in the room kind of monopolize the discussion, but you have maybe this extroverted, brilliant person on the side that they are not they are not sharing their ideas. So so when you adopt this asynchronous way of collaborating, the work happens before. You know we share a Google Doc, everybody comes in, everybody collaborates on it. Uh, and and then you go and have and have a, a conversation. Uh, maybe, maybe one last one is is really dealing with conflicts is also uh, um, there's a superpower there because uh, uh, when you're uh, doing uh, in in person face to face uh, trying to solve conflicts, they, there there's a lot of emotional baggage that come into the conversation. Uh, so so if you if you solve that in an asynchronous way, uh, people are not uh, are not reactive. In, in solving this problem are more active, which means that they are, they, they don't feel that they have to speak at that time. They don't feel that they have their pressure to say something. 
So essentially, if you if you shift some of the, the problem solving and or, or conflict management into asynchronous, then you can also gain a superpower. Uh, and, and then the, the role of the leader is really to be aware of these superpowers and create an environment that, that actually facilitates uh, and, and, and foster uh, these, uh, these benefits. Wow, thank you. All of that really resonates, especially you know being at a remote company. We've been remote for about a year now, and you know it wasn't up until maybe six months or, or so ago that we realized we weren't going back to an office, but uh, I've seen a lot of these things happen naturally at Workable, and um, I don't even know if until now I really realized that those things were happening, and and that's really good news. Um, but it also makes me think of just the fact that a lot of these companies, like members of our audience, were thinking about hiring remotely and taking that leap and opening positions in different companies do have to look inward at how they're managing their remote workforce because you really do have to have all that place. And that's really great advice for companies who are thinking about moving in that direction and being able to have like a strong, well-oiled workforce. Yeah, I mean, today, if you think about it, the, the war on talent is going distributed. So the companies that have uh, that have thought about how to enable uh, a, a strong culture, how to enable a workforce, a distributed workforce to, to grow and develop, they are the ones that are going to attract uh, the best and the brightest talent in the world. Uh, so, and, and there's no going back on this. Uh, the last the last uh, year, uh, we've seen that many many companies think about you know Spotify. Spotify is saying, guys, uh, think about compensation policy. They want to pay anybody uh, the same San Francisco and New York salary, regardless of where they are. I mean, try to compete uh, with with Spotify on on hiring the best talent. So so from a, from an employee branding standpoint, uh, you you have to start incorporating some of these uh, softer approach. Around, around how do you work together, what, why you want to you explain to candidates why they're going to be successful in your company uh, uh, working, working remotely. And, and it's not, it's not uh, nice to have anymore. It's an absolute necessity. Going off of employer brand, when we're hiring in certain locations, how do you position yourself as a strong, competitive, local employer brand? Yeah, so so let's take let's take the example of let's say Mary in Nigeria. Okay, so she she has the option uh, of uh, being being hired with a great local bank that can give her uh, a local employment contract, the best local benefits, and and uh, and and you you want to you want to be able to match that. You want to be able to understand what good looks like in country X, uh, and then extend a, a generous offer uh, to that employee. And that goes to uh, first uh, hiring them as a full-time employee rather than a contractor uh, so that you can reduce their anxiety uh, and, and provide them with the ability of having a stable job and a stable income. Uh, and, then, uh, and then supplement that with whatever local benefits Mary expects uh, to see from a, from a top employer in that country, and uh, and some countries are are more heavy on benefits. Let's say the U.S. Uh, you know, it's a must-have to have a health insurance in the U.S. Otherwise, it's very problematic. Uh, you know, other countries uh, like in in France, they expect to have restaurant vouchers. I mean, assuming the world is going to reopen and restaurants going to reopen. I mean, pre-pandemic, the restaurant voucher was an important thing to have in France, uh, and some sort of complementary health insurance. Uh, and there are some countries where you don't have to have an health insurance because the, the local um, national health system is is 
is what is expected. So, so every country is different and, and you have to uh, navigate that. And, and this is something at Oyster we, we help our customer to do is, is, is not only to be able to extend a, a full-time employment role uh, job to, to, to Mary in, in whatever she is, uh, but also to, to make this employer uh, become an attractive employer for, for an ever more distributed workforce. And uh, another interesting question that came up going off of, you know, competing with local employers that maybe have an office. So how long do you think it will take looking at the future for companies to understand that remote first by region and area and people working remotely there versus opening up like WeWorks and these small office locations throughout there, it's two different paths. And it sounds like a lot of companies haven't been able to break away from the idea that you need some sort of office location? Is that something you're seeing? Like, when do you think that will break off? Is it just both will exist? Yeah, I mean, clearly the world uh, is, is, is shifting from uh, an office-only culture to a hybrid culture, where you have uh, both the coexistence of an office and, uh, uh, and a distributed workforce at the same time. So, uh, and, and there, there are certain, certain tasks and, and certain uh, work experiences that requires to have face-to-face. I, I don't think that uh, 100% distributed virtual can work for or functions and for or companies. I think that, that there's going to be always a, a depends question. Depends on what does the company do, you know, if you're uh, or what is the role of the person. So, for instance, maybe software engineering is is been around for has uh, been distributed for for a virtual for a very long time, and uh, maybe other other roles are are less prone to to uh, to that. And also it depends on the task you want to solve. Highly complex, cross functional. Uh, Creative tasks might might require you know people to be together and solve problems in the same place. Where, where I see the world going is that it's become optional. It's not necessarily uh, a must have in order to get stuff done and, and to create a great culture. Uh, and and, uh, and and employees are asking for an, an, an extra degree of freedom, which is location. They want to be able to live wherever they want to live. Uh, now that they know that they can be productive uh, no matter where they are. And actually, that, that's going to be that's hard for companies to manage if they want to go back to an office-only culture because talent will go to uh, whatever they, they have more freedom. Uh, that's assuming equal pay and equal benefits. It's a good answer. It is going to be a bit different for everybody. Um, but I guess, you know, last question going off of that could be, as you look forward and, um, you know, being CEO at Oyster, you have an interesting position of seeing companies firsthand that are adopting this approach and are using your platform to handle, you know, the legal, the tax, the compliance, the benefits. Do you see that there is a big spike here? Like, do you think that the future is going remote? Do you think it's going to be a mix? Like, when do you think this is going to be happening? Like, what is your outlook for the future? Yeah, I think, you know, my outlook for the future is that we uh, we want to have a future where people have uh, a choice in where they want to live and they don't have to uh, necessarily live in a city. It becomes a choice if they decide to, to want to live in a city, but if they don't, uh, if they decide not to, they, they sh- shouldn't be forced uh, to uh, to be to be uh, living in a, in a crowded uh, space. 
th that's a world that we want to portray for, for that's a vision we want to portray for the world at Oyster because our, our, we're, we're a mission driven company. And not only we want to bring the great job opportunities to anywhere in the world, but there's also environmental inf impact that, atta that attached to this. I mean, think about it. There are every year we're pouring the equivalent of four New York cities in, in terms of concrete uh, on, on planet Earth. And, uh, and the, in, in many cities, uh, it's not any more livable condition. I mean, if you're currently living in Delhi, uh, working in Delhi, you're going to lose seven years of your life expectancy because of air pollution. So I think we, we, the, the, the pandemic enabled us to, to, to realize that actually we are past that tipping point of sustainability of cities. And, and uh, I hope that the world will, uh, will reverse that trend now that actually it's not a necessity uh, to be in the office to get the job done, at least for the, the, the knowledge workers. And, and to give you some statistics, there are 1.5 billion knowledge workers coming into the workforce in the next 10 years. Uh, that, that, that is like the, that, that's the biggest labor demographic shift since the Industrial Revolution. So we have that opportunity now as a world to rethink uh, what work is and, and, and make it more sustainable and, and more focused on bringing that opportunity to people, no matter where they are. It's an exciting time. And uh, Oyster and your whole team is in a really exciting position to be enabling these companies to make these moves. Um, because truly, it's incredible. Last January, started up Oyster and there is a huge need for figuring out all of these admin focused things so that we can start making a difference in our organizations and our workforce and it does make a difference in the world so really cool stuff thank you so much tony for your time anybody who's interested head over to oyster thank you caroline for having me here and for giving me a voice on on this podcast thanks for tuning in be sure to hit subscribe wherever you are to stay up to date with our new episodes and in the meantime, head on over to the Workable blog at resources.workable.com and check out our vast resource library. And if you're looking for a better way to hire, just reach out. We'd love to help.